0: Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand when everything around me is shaken. I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus. He's never let me down. He's faith So why would he fail now he won't And I've still got joy in chaos I've got peace that makes no sense So I won't be gone
1: built my life on Jesus He's never let me down He's faithful in every season So why should He fail now
0: He won't He won't He won't fail Rain came when my house was built on you, and I'm safe with. is built on you Christ is my firm foundation the rock on which I stand when everything around me is shaken I've never been more glad that I put my faith in
1: Jesus he's never let me down faithful through generations. So why would he fail now? He won't. He
0: won't. He won't won't fail. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Worship at Fusion this morning. We're so glad that you're joining us here in person as well as online. Welcome. And as we begin our worship this morning, hear these words from Psalm 56. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Amen. And at this time, we invite you to stand up and greet one another with the peace of Christ. Surprise, yeah, please. I'm going to go, and then you guys are coming
1: in. We've waited for this day. We're gathered in your name, calling to you your glory like a fire awakening desire will burn our hearts with truth
0: you're the reason you're the reason
1: we're here you're the reason we're singing so open up the heavens we want to see you open up the floodgates a mighty river flowing from your heart feeling every part of our praise your presence in this place your glory on our face we're looking to the sky descending like a cloud you're standing with us now lord unveil our eyes you're the reason we're here you're the reason we're singing so open up the heavens we want to see you open up the floodgates a mighty river flowing from your heart feeling every part of our praise so open up the heavens we want to see you open up the floodgates a mighty river flowing from your heart feeling every part of our praise
0: show us show your glory. Show us, show us your power. Show us, show us your glory,
1: Lord. Sing it out. Show us, show us your glory. Show us, show us your power. Show us Show us your glory, Lord. Open up the heavens. We want to see you. Open up the floodgates. A mighty river flowing from your heart. Filling every part of our praise. So open up the heavens. We want to see you open up the floodgates, a mighty river flowing from your heart, feeling every part of our praise. I believe you gave sight to the blind I believe that the dead came to life I believe there were wonders and signs And you're still the same I believe I believe every word that you said I believe there are scars in your hands That your goodness is good without it, And you'll never change I will tell of your wonders, sing of your grace The God of creation knows me by name The Lord is faithful Yesterday, now, and always Always your mercy is mighty. Age after age, all generations will bow down and praise. The Lord is faithful. Yesterday, now, and always, always. I believe You will come in the clouds. I believe You are here even now. In your presence I know there is power, power to save, oh, I will tell of your wonders, sing of your grace, the God of creation knows me by name, the Lord is faithful, yesterday, now and always, always. Your mercy is mighty age after age all generations will bow down and praise the Lord is faithful yesterday, now and always always you You, were you are you always will be God you you, were you are You always will be God Yes, you always will be God I will tell of your wonders Sing of your grace The God of creation Knows me by name The Lord Lord is faithful faithful yesterday, Yesterday, now, and always Always your mercy is mighty age after age all generations will bow down and praise the lord is faithful yesterday now and always always your mercy is mighty age after age all generations will bow down and praise the lord is faithful yesterday now and always
0: amen you may be seated
2: well good morning fusion family good morning hey we can do better than that i know we got an extra hour of sleep right Good morning, Fusion family. Good morning. good morning. God is good. Amen. Amen. We've had a beautiful November. And uh, this morning, uh, we, have, we have the joy and the privilege uh, to claim God's covenant promises in baptism over one of our, I'll say, extended family members, uh, Remy Cress. And she's somewhere. I don't see her, but mommy knows where she is. There she is. She's getting some love from family members. And uh, we get to welcome her into the family of God. Uh, Doug and Molly have been part of Hardaway for many years. Molly grew up here, uh, I believe, baptized and profession of faith here. Uh, and even though they moved to, to Chicago, they still remain deeply connected to this community of faith. And, uh, and so we are overjoyed to be able to offer this gift of baptism. She's wide awake. Hopefully that's a good thing, yeah. Hi. Sorry, I can't resist. She's, she's got me. Okay. In baptism, and we try to say this every time we have a baptism of a little one. In baptism, there's several things happening this morning. Doug and Molly, you both are making promises to Remy uh, to raise her in the Lord. As, a, as an extended church family, we are making promises to this little one to pray for them, to encourage them. And Kennedy, you see your picture up there? Yeah, that's pretty exciting. But the most incredible thing that's happening, the most incredible thing that's happening this morning, is this morning God is making covenant promises over his chosen daughter, Remy. Remington, Elizabeth, Ray, Ray Elizabeth Cress. I, I got all the names there. God is making promises according to his abundant grace and love for this little one. He is saying, She is mine, she is my daughter. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing that we just need to pause and recognize what's happening. Scripture testifies to God's love and faithfulness extended to his people and God established his covenant with Abraham. We've been in the story. We remember the story of God establishing this covenant with Abraham and if you remember with Abraham, God gave Abraham and his descendants a sign of that covenant in circumcision that was given to male infants at eight days old. Before they had any awareness of the covenant, they were marked as God's covenant children. And the New Testament makes this parallel that baptism now is, is the sign of this new covenant made in Jesus Christ. And so we offer this sign not only to adults profess their faith, but we also offer it to our children because we understand that God's love for us precedes any ability that we have to choose or love God. Amen. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we, we claim our children as God's covenant children. And if I'm, I'm a little excited about it because it's a good reminder every time that we use these waters to baptize a little one. And so we offer this gift of baptism for children as well as adults because we know God's love for us precedes our love for him. And Remy, man, you are cute. You just, you're looking at me. Remy does not understand how much you love her. She has a certain understanding, but that does not change the fact of how deeply Doug and Molly, you love her, how deeply her family loves her, and it doesn't change the fact that she is your daughter. In a similar way, even though she doesn't understand it yet, Remy becomes part of God's family based on her heavenly father's love for her. And so now I'd I'd just love to, not introduce, but invite uh, the Crest family to come forward. Kennedy, if you want to join, you certainly can. We can can go on that side. Uh, Although I I bet your, let's switch, because I bet your family wants to see her more than he wants to see me. I'll give you guys a little, a close-up. And that's fine. That is fine. Doug and Molly, because God has given you the responsibility to love and raise Remy, I ask you to make the following commitments. And we just ask after the end of these questions that you just say, please, we, we, we do God helping us. Hey, Kennedy, can you do me a favor? Can you hold this book? Can you hold that? You wanna look at that? There you go, you have one too. All right. Let's make some promises. Hey, we are a family of God and families come with adventure. it is good. It is good. I'm going to ask these questions. You just respond. We do, God helping us. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Accept the promises of God and affirm the truth of the Christian faith, which is proclaimed in the Bible and confessed in this church of Christ? Do you believe that your children, though sinful in nature, are received by God in Christ as members of his covenant and therefore ought to be baptized? And do you promise, in reliance on the Holy Spirit and with the help of the Christian community, to do all in your power to instruct Remy in her faith, in her Christian faith, and to lead her by your example to be Christ's disciples? Molly, Doug, what is your response? Amen. And now, Fusion family, extended family, we I invite you to stand as we make promises. We have the privilege of standing along with Doug and Molly and their commitment to Remy. Do you commit to make these promises, to pray for them, to encourage them? Uh, here's, Here's the words. I just invite you to respond, we do, God helping us. Do you promise to receive Remy in love, to pray for her, to help instruct her in the faith, to encourage and sustain her in the fellowship of believers, people of God? What is your response? We do, God helping us. And you may be seated. Now what we love to do, these are beautiful words from the French Reformed liturgy and uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna speak these words over Remy. She's gotten a little closer to me now. She's like, I don't know about that guy. But here are these words as words of, of truth over this little one, this covenant child. For you, and we'll put it on the screen, I think the next slide has these words. There it is, so you can follow along. For you, little child, Christ is come. For you he fought, he suffered. For you he entered Gethsemane and the horror of Calvary. For you he uttered the cry, it is finished. For you he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and there he intercedes for you. All of this was done for you, little one, though you do not know any of it yet. But we will continue to tell you this good news until it becomes your own. And so the promise of the gospel is fulfilled. We love because he first loved us. You're loved, sweetie. You're loved. Hopefully this is okay and you you experience that love through the waters of (laughs) baptism. You ready? She's like, I don't know. Doug Molly will come around this bowl. Remember that these waters, waters for all of us, remind us of God's refreshing, God's cleansing, God's life that comes only from him. And so Remington, Ray, Elizabeth, I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I think we can praise God for that. we got a little towel for you. You are deeply loved. And uh, Doug and Molly, um, you shared a, a verse that holds particular meaning to both of you, Psalm 42. Uh, in fact, these words are printed on the nursery uh, for your girls, and these are beautiful words that, as, as I read them, just seem to be a prayer uh, for your children, that they might grow learning to love and long for the Lord Jesus. And so, hear these words from Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Beautiful words. We look forward to seeing how this prayer uh, and even more God's faithfulness will be, continue to come to pass in little Remington's life. You got me with that look, girl. I, I can't stop. So we continue to lift you up in prayer, encourage you along the way. Uh, we have some gifts right here uh, behind you. We have the the box with the French Reformed liturgy and then a certificate as well. Um, Before you head to your seat, I'm gonna offer a prayer. Kennedy, you can sit right there if that's all right. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of your love, your faithfulness, that you are a covenant God. That Lord, before we have any ability to choose you, Lord, you say we belong to you. And we thank you for Remy, who is a daughter of the king. And we pray your richest blessing upon her and upon this family, Lord, as they raise their children in the Lord, as they teach them uh, the words of Jesus, uh, the lessons of Jesus, as they model that love and faithfulness, Lord, may your spirit continue to work so that one day, Lord, they will stand before you and say, I love Jesus Christ with all my life and all my heart and all my soul. And we look forward to that day when this faith becomes their own. Thank you, Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people say, amen. 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 You guys uh, may be seated. And uh, as as Jeff comes forward to offer our prayer, I'm gonna invite the little ones to head over to the door there uh, to join April for Sunday school and children's worship. And maybe Jeff and I, as a united front, can can lead the the blessing. Um, But we'll let the little ones... Uh, head over that There's way. There's a lot
3: of pressure. Andrew's watching us.
2: I know. So. Don't mess up, you know. <laughs> I'm trying not to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And we offer this blessing uh, as they go and learn about the Lord, and they offer a blessing in return. And it's just this beautiful exchange. And I think we, we know our part, right? We do. Ready? The, the Lord be with you. With you. And also with you. Amen. <laughs> Amen.
3: All right. Good morning. That's always awesome to see, and congratulations. That's pretty awesome uh, to be a part of. As they're going down, um, (laughs) there is going to be, it's budget season, so we have a spending plan. It's more than last year. If you have questions on that, Norlin and Darwin will be here after the service at either that table or that table. I'm not sure which one, but in here. So you're welcome to do that. I'll be there as well. Let's pray. So let's pray together using the words from Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, Seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is a pretty big week for us as a community, a state, a nation. You know, hear the groans of your people as we enter this election week as, we, as a divided community. It would be easy for us to be anxious. Yet we know you are our light in salvation. There is nothing to fear, for you are the stronghold of our lives. As we seek you this morning and throughout the week, hear our voices. Do not hide your face from us as we seek to serve your kingdom. But we need to know your ways. Teach them to us and lead us in straight paths. Mm-hmm. Equip us here at hardwick to listen, to call out to you, and to do that which you call us to do. Be with J.B. today as he brings us your word. And we are confident that we will see your goodness here among us. So we will be strong. We'll take heart as we wait for you. Amen. Thanks,
2: Jeff. It's going to take a deep breath. Every breath is a gift from God. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I I forget that because I'm breathing, because I'm moving, and I'm going. And uh, lighthearted lighthearted moment. I'm getting older. Um, I raked leaves on Friday. And I, my legs are killing me. <laughs> anyway, some of you are like, don't tell me about getting older. I don't want to hear it. Anyway, good morning. Again, good morning. Uh, again, uh, council, we've been talking about God's presence breaking into our reality. Sometimes we've called that the thin places, uh, those moments when the distance between heaven and earth seem thinner, that God's presence seems, seems closer, and uh, certainly worship God's word is some of those means. Did anyone see the, the sunrise this morning? It was beautiful. The colors were just lighting up the sky, and certainly the sacrament, baptism, and communion. These are, these are moments when God's presence Can be experienced if we're open to it. And so that is our prayer that we'd be open to receive from God this morning. Uh, We continue to our work through the grand narrative of the scriptures. We've been using a resource called The Story, which is 31 weeks of working through the whole narrative of scriptures. And so we've been kind of trying to break that that grand narrative into kind of these mini series. And so we're in the middle of a mini series we were calling A New Land and Life, uh, which recounts the people of Israel settling into this new land, the the promised land. Uh, Two weeks ago, Ago, we covered the book of Joshua Where the people are moving into the land Last week we looked at Judges right, Where the, where the people are trying to figure out How to settle in the land And, and both of those stories if, if, you've, if you read through them from page to page You'll notice that they're filled with, with Dramatic military battles As well as some disturbing accounts That we've addressed and talked about People's sin and its effect And if you think about it I was just thinking about these two books of the Bible The events told in, in Joshua and Judges Would be the events that would grab the headlines, right? These are the events that would would be in the history books of time. These are the the big moments of a a nation establishing themselves in a land, God establishing this nation in a land. And then all of a sudden today, we we get to a different book, the book of Ruth. And the book of Ruth has, has has a totally different Kind of angle, if you will, a totally different story. Uh, instead of the story of the nation and the leaders in the nation, Ruth zeroes in. The book of Ruth zeroes in on this one family and look at how they navigate life in this specific time in Israel's history during the time of the judges. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 5 while you remain seated, just because this kind of gives the context of the book of Ruth far better than I could summarize. And so just hear these words from Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, so we're in the period of the judges, there was a famine in the land. So a man went from Bethlehem and Judah together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. We'll talk about that place in a little bit. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malone and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her sons and her husband. This is the context of the story that we just stepped in, and the words come at us so quick, but obviously Naomi is in a tragic circumstance. She's been widowed and now left with her sons who have also died, their wives, her Moabite daughters-in-law. And now we step into the story and we'll continue to work our way through the story. We'll be reading Ruth chapter one, verses six through 18 as our scripture reading this morning. I invite you to stand if you're willing, if you're able, as we honor God, as God speaks to us through his word. Ruth chapter one, starting with verse six. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, meaning in Israel, by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. It's one of the tribes of Israel. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home, Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? Lord, we, we thank you for your word that is, that is real and true to the brokenness of human experience. And Lord, as we read those words, we, we, we feel the emotion of a mother-in-law with her daughters-in-law. We feel the emotion of loss. Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would meet us in this place. Lord, whatever we 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 come into this space carrying in our hearts, Holy Spirit, we trust it to you. We know that you'll minister to us and that you'll hold us in your arms. May we receive from you a word of comfort and a word of truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I already mentioned I'm I'm getting older and my, my, my muscles are, are getting more sore. Um, the other thing that's happening as I get a little bit older, and maybe, maybe some of you had this experience, but as I get older, I find myself increasingly interested in history. Anyone else? Just increasingly, history, just history in general, uh, but even more specifically, uh, my own family history, uh, the, the story of, of my family and how they got to the United States and all of this. Uh, just a, a little bit about my dad's side. Uh, My dad grew up on on a small dairy farm in northwestern Wisconsin, and uh, for me as a kid, one of the the best parts, one of the things that me and my two brothers looked forward to every summer was the week that we got to to drive five hours up to Baldwin, Wisconsin, that's the town my dad grew up in, And, and we got to spend the week on the family farm. We looked forward to those weeks because we were kind of Milwaukee area, kind of city, I mean suburbs, but kind of in the city. And so we didn't have the opportunity to spend a week on a farm all that often. And, and at that point in, in the family's history, my grandparents had sold the farm to my aunt and uncle and a couple of my cousins. And so they were living at the farm uh, and it was no longer functioning as a farm, which would have required a lot of work and maybe would have been less fun. Uh, instead, this, these acreage, with a creek and woods and fields became like this dream playground for a bunch of young boys growing up in the city. And so every summer we'd go up to the farm and, and we'd have just a ball playing in the barn that had a little bit of hay, but still had the, the hayloft had, had a rope swing. And so I loved swinging on that rope swing. We'd build forts in the back. In fact, there was a blue shed in the, in the farm on the, on the property that my dad had built a, a fort and we got to climb up into this fort that he had built when he was a kid. Um, we would play tag in the cornfields. Don't recommend that. You can get lost. Don't do it. Okay. Uh, we'd also play wild games, like riding around on bicycles, chasing each other and trying to run each other over like, or, or, running, or driving around on, on four-wheelers. We played Apple Wars, which is what you think. You just chuck apples at each other, you know? And, and we just had a riot at the farm, and, and it was adventure, and it was excitement, and, and I loved it. I loved it. But every time we went to Baldwin, the first stop was not the farm. The first stop is we'd go to Grandma and Grandpa's house, Grandma and Grandpa Wernland, and they lived right there in, in, in Baldwin, in the, in the town. And what I realized is, is what I took for granted, there's my cousins, there's a picture. By the way, um, can you guess which one is me? I'll give you three seconds. <laughs> Bib overalls in the lower left corner with the big noggin. Yep, there you go, that's me. So that's me and the cousins, not all of them are represented there. Um, but here, here's the, the next picture is a picture of, oh, I went, I jumped ahead. There's my grandparents and uh, my grandparents, my aunt and uncle, my dad, um, and then my Grandma Wernland, as I, as I remember Grandma Wernland. And you gotta understand, Grandma Wernland uh, raised five kids on a, on a small farm in northwestern Wisconsin. Like, she was a tough lady, right? And, and you finished your food that she made and you prepared, that she prepared for you. But one of the things that I only really began to appreciate was later in life was, was she as a woman who had a servant's heart. And, and as a kid, you know, you're, you're, you're excited about the, the fun and excitement of the farm, but, but what I took for granted were, were the never-ending baked goods that she made every time we'd come visit. I, I had heard stories from my dad of, of my grandparents and, and the foster kids that they took into their home when my dad was younger. And I took that for granted, that they would open their home to young kids who had nowhere else to go. I remember being a kid and going to grandma and grandpa's and one summer there was, there was a man living in the basement. And it was like, well, that's kind of weird. But I took for granted the fact that they op- my grandma opened up her basement for someone in the community who had nowhere else to stay. I had heard stories of of her work in the the kitchen at the Baldwin Community Memorial Hospital. And just this week, talking to my dad, he shared about about how she would prepare the leftovers because they didn't want to waste the food. And, And she would prepare those leftovers for the staff members to take home. My dad was telling me this week about how uh, she got her driver's license later in life after my grandpa could no longer drive and she used that privilege and that that ability to make sure that anyone who wanted to get to church, she would go pick them up and bring them to church. If someone needed to get groceries, she would pick them up and she would take them grocery shopping. I took all of this for granted and then as my grandpa's health began to decline and, and dementia began to set in, I didn't realize until later in life how much that took for my grandma to care for her husband, her blood. I took it for granted. Because at a young age, what did I want? I wanted to get to the farm. I wanted to hang out with my cousins. I wanted the adventure and the excitement of, of running around the farm and seeing my cousins. And I, I took this behind-the-scenes, everyday faithfulness for granted. And see, this morning, what we have in the book of Ruth is a story like my grandma. Every day, behind the scenes, probably at the time, unnoticed faithfulness between Naomi and as we'll see Ruth and a man later we'll be introduced to as Boaz. This morning what I want to do is just walk our way through the book of Ruth and we'll walk through the book of Ruth by looking at those three primary players, if you will, in this account in the book of Ruth. And so let's jump in and let's begin with Naomi and properly frame this narrative, Naomi. Naomi's circumstances are, are heart-wrenching and tragic. Uh, in fact, later on in, in the book of, of Ruth, she makes this, this declaration. We didn't quite get there, but just a couple verses after we left off, she returns to Bethlehem and the women in the town, she's been gone over 10 years, recognize her and say, is that Naomi? And this is what she says, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. She says, call me Mara, which means, literally means bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Now, before we, we kind of talk about the tragedy of, of Naomi's circumstance, it's important to just mention and also just acknowledge, honestly, that Naomi and her husband Elimelech, they sh- at the beginning of the narrative, when they left Israel, they left the promised land, this land that God had promised to his people when, when they left. I mean, that was like an act of, of, of distrust, right? A lack of faith right at the beginning. They left Bethlehem. They lived in the town of Bethlehem. Do you know what the, 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 the town Bethlehem means, literally? It literally means house of bread, right? So they left the house of bread, Bethlehem, at, during a famine to live where? In Moab of all places, Moab is just across the Jordan River, but they left Israel and left to go dwell and live with sworn enemies of Israel, Uh, an enemy that had pagan gods and corrupt practices, atrocious practices. They left Israel. They left where the Lord was in favor of Moab. This was a scandalous move on the part of Elimelech and his wife and two sons. And then while they're in Moabite, or when they're in Moab, their sons marry Moabite women which if we know the Torah and the law, this was strictly prohibited by the Torah. Intermarrying was a problem because it brought in these these false idols and practices into the household, right? Now I say that because we just have to be honest about that, but I don't say that to justify what she's experienced or to diminish or take away from the tragedy of her circumstances. What Naomi is facing is absolutely gut-wrenching and difficult. And she names the source of her bitterness in our passage, right? She says, I left full... I left Bethlehem, I left Judah full. I had a husband, I had two sons, and now I return and I'm empty. They're not with me. As as we hear that and we imagine the emotion, we can can feel her pain. We can feel the sorrow in these words. It's palpable, it's gut-wrenching. We feel for her in her loss. Some of us know that pain, right? But to make matters worse, to complicate just her grief and her sorrow, Naomi again is living in the ancient world and therefore Naomi has no real hope for a future. Again, it's the ancient context, her hope, her future, her her source of sustenance was tied to her husband and her sons, the men in her life. And so she returns to Bethlehem with really no way to provide for her basic needs, Instead, she'll be completely dependent on the mercies of others in a town that she abandoned over 10 years ago. Can you, can you, can you feel the, the despair and the hopelessness of Naomi? And as we think about her circumstance, we try to imagine it. We, we, we begin to ask, well, how does she respond? Because I think it would be easy for her or for any of us to just turn inward, to shut everyone else out of your life, uh, to turn against God or to curse God. But, and no one would blame Naomi maybe if she did that. Just turned her back on God and her daughters and just gave up. But that's not what she does. That's not what she does. Instead, what we we see in Naomi is this deep love for her daughters-in-law. Certainly, we see this in the kisses that are shared and the weeping that is recorded multiple times, but also in Naomi's insistence that Orpah and Ruth stay in Moab, right? She understands that these daughters-in-law have no future here in Bethlehem, and in fact, they will be despised and rejected because they are from Moab, And so this is not a mother-in-law like trying to distance herself from her daughter's-in-law. No, this is a mother-in-law in in love trying to protect and seek the best of her daughters whom she loves. So in Naomi, what we see is is someone who's not perfect, but what Naomi does is, is, is gives us an honest picture of someone doing their best to navigate tragedy and loss as best as she can. She's not perfect, but did you notice that her instinct is not to shut God out, but to turn back to Judah, turn back to the land, and return home where she knows her Lord lives? And Before we go any further, just a quick word that I think we all can agree on. Friends, it's always the right time to come back home. It's always the right time to come back to God, and so I don't know where you're at, Maybe there's a relationship that you're like, Should I? it's always the right time to reconcile, to come back to God. Just a quick little word. But thankfully, as we, we get this picture of Naomi, thankfully, she, she doesn't turn her back on God. She doesn't turn her back on the people in her lives. And thankfully, praise God, the people in her lives don't turn their backs on her. In fact, they will not leave her side. They're gonna help carry her through and what we see in that primarily is in the person, her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Let's talk about the next person in the story, Ruth. Ruth, who is a faithful foreigner, if you will. It's a little crude, but pastors, we love alliteration, right? What captures the character and heart of Ruth is, is probably the most well-known verse in the book of Ruth when, when Ruth reveals her boldness and her love for her mother-in-law, Naomi. Naomi's trying to say, you have no future here. Go back home. And she says, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. And then she says these beautiful quoted words, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. What Ruth does is shows us a boldness and a tenacious kind of love that many of us need if we can be honest. I don't know about you, but I know for me so often I I refuse help when I could use it. Maybe it's my own pride. Oh, no, no, we're good. I don't, want to put, I don't want to inconvenience you. Like, don't trouble yourself, right? And we, and, we, and we try to say that for the benefit of others. But sometimes we need someone like Ruth in our lives who says, yeah, yeah, okay, I know you're good, but I'm, I'm coming over and I'm bringing a casserole. You're not going to be alone today. I'm, I'm coming. And there's this trust and this love because you've got to know whether that is welcome. But Ruth shows this tenacious kind of love that doesn't give up on her mother-in-law, Naomi. I'm coming with you, she says. But important to remember in this account, again, Ruth is a Moabite. Let's talk a little bit about that. Ruth, she's a despised, deplorable woman from the perspective of Israel from Moab. If you remember any of the the history we've learned in the the story, uh, the nation of Moab was founded through the illicit union of Lot and one of his daughters. you, You know, like Genesis 19 Moabites were prohibited from entering the assembly of the Lord, Deuteronomy 23, verse three. If you remember the book of Numbers, the last stop in the book of Numbers was the plains of Moab. It was in Moab, uh, just on the other side of the the Jordan River, which is where King Balak uh, called this pagan priest priest to, to curse, Balaam, that whole thing. And then, in fact, even in the book of Judges, the most recent book that we just read, this is where Ehud killed the king of Moab, Eglon, and there's a pretty gruesome story with, uh, anyway, we won't get into that. But Moab, all that is to say, Moab was a despised enemy nation to the Hebrew Israelite people. And so for, for Ruth, her loyalty, her faithfulness, her love for Naomi is costly. It's costly to her. When she returns to Bethlehem, she's entering hostile territory. She will be seen as a second-class citizen, even an enemy, and yet, she shows us this example of loyal love. Did you notice her declaration? Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. This is not merely a change of address for Ruth. This is a change of identity. This is a change of religious devotion. Ruth is saying, I will become part of your people. Even though those people might not accept me, I will become part of your people. And your God will become my God. From what I know, I know a little bit from you, but your God will be my God. I am giving my life to This God that you call Yahweh. Ruth demonstrates the character of God. And in the rest of the story, what we see unfold is that her loyal love, her devotion to Naomi, is unbending, tirelessly, gleaning leftover wheat, providing food for her and Naomi. And remarkably, remarkably, this foreign Moabite woman actually becomes a shining example of God's steadfast love. The word is chesed remember that word, chesed, steadfast love, or loyal love, and becomes this model of loyal love in Jewish tradition. That's, that's remarkable. And for us, it's a, it's a word, it's a reminder as we've been in this story in the last couple of weeks was about God, uh, you know, driving out other nations. It's a reminder to us of the wide embrace of our God throughout history. No label can disqualify you from turning to God in faith and love and being embraced by our loving God. Whether you're a Moabite woman, right, coming to Bethlehem, whether 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 you're a a, a prostitute in the city of Jericho and Rahab, there is space for you in the embrace of God. Ruth demonstrates a steadfast, loyal love that sacrifices for the good of another. And her example of God's love, God's chesed, does not go unnoticed. And so we pick up the story as we look at the third major player in the narrative as it goes forward, Boaz. Boaz, we're introduced to Boaz in chapter two by the narrator who shares this. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz. Boaz. Uh, The story continues in the next two chapters uh, where Ruth and Naomi are in Bethlehem and they have no other choice, so Ruth suggests gleaning leftovers from some of the farms in Bethlehem. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Ruth ends up going to one of these small family plots and she ends up at at Boaz's farm and begins gleaning and finds favor in Boaz's eyes. He sends her home with a bunch of extra wheat. She reports back to Naomi at the end of chapter two and Naomi says, this is one of our relatives Oh. Chapter three picks up. Now Ruth and Naomi are again, now this time Naomi's devising a plan. The harvest was over. The the threshing had begun. And what she understands is during the season of threshing, Boaz is going to spend the night on the threshing floor, really to guard his wheat before it can be put into storage. And so Naomi tells Ruth, get cleaned up. Go to the threshing floor tonight. And once Boaz is asleep, uncover his feet and lie down. Now, We're all like, what is going on with that? That seems a little inappropriate. Uh, But really what it is, is it is an honorable way to propose marriage and redemption. And we see that because when this happens, Boaz is again struck by Ruth's character and agrees to redeem her. And so then Ruth returns back home to Naomi, reports what happened, and Naomi gets this sense something's happening today. Pause, chapter four is coming. We'll get there in a bit. Now, what does all this back and forth tell us about this man, Boaz? Some context and some details to kind of help fill in the gaps. What we see in Boaz is a man who is faithful to the law, faithful to the Torah. Remember, during the time of, of Judges, what we read last week was that a lot of people were not faithful to the law. There was sin and this downward spiral of, fi- of sin and corruption, but, but, but we're told in Ruth that here's this town and a man in that town who were obeying Torah. Remember, the law was given with commands that offered provision for protection for the most vulnerable in Israel. We talked about that weeks ago uh, when we were in the book of Exodus. Uh, here's an example. Leviticus 9 verse 9 forbids the people from harvesting the edges of their field. You can harvest your field, of course, but don't harvest the corners of your field. Instead, leave that for the needy among you. And not only that, but don't gather the gleanings that, that have fallen, right? Right? Deuteronomy uh, 24, verse 19, explains that those sheaves that get dropped are for the foreigner, the orphan, the widow. What is going on with these strange laws? This is God's provision for the most vulnerable in in, in Israel. You leave the edges of your field for those who have no other way to sustain themselves. This is a provision in the law, and Boaz and this town of Bethlehem are following this provision. And it's for the foreigner, the orphan, the widow. By the way, notice that Ruth is really all three of those things. We've talked about the fact that she's a foreigner, right? She's a Moabite. She's also lost her husband. She's a widow. And and in a real sense, the fact that her father-in-law has passed away makes her an orphan in, in many respects as well. And here is this man, Boaz, who takes notice. Then we get to this Kingsman Redeemer, this, this Redeemer practice which seems odd and kind of creepy where the closest relative uh, of, of someone who's lost their husband, a widow, closest relative would come, they would marry that widow, they would produce an heir with that widow to carry on the, the line and again, context different. We're like, what is that? That's really weird. Um, But this was a provision so that, that widows were not left abandoned, that family lines didn't just die off. But this Kingsman Redeemer, this is a very culturally different thing, but the Kingsman Redeemer would come in to take care of the widow and carry on the family line. Deuteronomy 25 verses 5 through 10, if you're interested in reading the details. But I share all of these laws of the Torah because Boaz is following the law of the Torah, but but even more, as we see on the screen, he's faithful not just to the Torah, he's faithful to people. And he's faithful to love people. Naomi acknowledges Ruth Chesed in Ruth chapter one, verse eight, but then she later acknowledges Boaz as a man of Chesed in chapter two, verse 20. Boaz does not just follow the letter of the law, but he goes above and beyond, watching over Ruth, protecting her, we read later that he offers the water for his workers to Ruth in verses eight and nine in chapter two. He invites Ruth over for a meal going above and beyond. He, he, he commands his workers, this is funny, to drop additional stalks of barley that he can't gather, you know, like no, just leave some extra there. Uh, you wonder what his workers are thinking, that their, their livelihood is dependent on this as well. But then he even even commits to marrying her when the the truth of the reality, the reality of that is he's putting himself at risk because she's a Moabite. His standing in the community, his reputation would be at risk for him marrying someone from Moab. You see, for Boaz, it's not simply about following the Torah, but it's about following the higher call to love people in our midst. And again, a quick word, What, what is the letter of the law? The letter of the law is love, right? Because Jesus frames the law. All the law and prophet hang on these two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Boaz is following the spirit of the law, which is to love God and love our neighbor. Boaz. Naomi, Ruth, Boaz. This leads us to the final primary player of this drama, but before we get there, quick summary of chapter 4. Catches up on the story. Boaz commits to redeem, to to marry Ruth, but there's this small issue. There's a closer relative who has the first right and responsibility. And so Boaz gathers the elders of the town in in the center of the town and offers this relative Naomi's estate for purchase. He's like, okay, that sounds like a good deal. I'm in. Uh, But once he finds out that with that, there's a condition that with the estate of Naomi, he has to marry this Moabite woman, Ruth, he's changed his mind. And at this point, Boaz agrees, and this is sealed with this customary removal of the sandal, which is in chapter 25 of the book of Deuteronomy. You can read that on your own. But the elders then offer this beautiful blessing upon Ruth, signaling her acceptance in the town, uh, making reference to Leah and Rachel, making reference to Tamar and Judah. Anyway, there's this redemptive theme going on. And here's where we're introduced to the final primary player in the story, maybe the primary primary player in the story, which is the Lord. The Lord. In the final chapter, we read of the Lord's kind of subtle action. It's not grand military victories. It's not miraculous events. But here we read in chapter 4, verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. And the woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. The Lord is the faithful redeemer throughout this account in the book of Ruth. Ruth though the Lord is not mentioned much, though, though there's no miraculous signs and wonders, though there's no spectacular military victories against all odds, there's no acts of divine judgment, even so, we read in this final declaration that it was the Lord who redeemed and restored Naomi back to fullness through the love and faithfulness of Ruth as well as Boaz. Friends, it's a reminder that the Lord did not leave Naomi abandoned even when she left Israel. It's a powerful reminder of God's faithfulness to his people, even in such times as this. The book of Ruth. Here's the thing. We have been in the story, and we just spent two weeks in Joshua and Judges, and all of a sudden we enter into this story of Ruth. And I don't know about you, but the the contrast between these accounts just hit me like a ton of bricks. Did you catch the contrast between the the stories from last week, the stories this week. The last two weeks, we remembered uh, the stories of God's spectacular power and might. Joshua ret- retelling how God's by God's mighty hand, the Canaanites were driven out of the land. Then last week, we looked at the judges and and, how, and how, how hopeless that account seemed to end. This downward spiral of the people of God spiraling downward toward sin. Things were a mess. People are rebelling. Things have gotten so bad in the land of Israel. And then all of a sudden, in God's wisdom, in the scriptures, there is this account Account of Ruth that just boom, a love story, really, seen as a love story in Jewish tradition. And that story opens with these words In the days when the judges ruled, and I'm reading this and I'm like, the contrast is just stunning. Because you have the book of Judges where, where Israel is full of sin, all these stories of sin and rebellion and all of a sudden it's almost like God is like, well, well, not everyone during the time of Judges were in this downward spiral. Let me tell you a story about a family who lived with faithfulness and love. Judges were these, the way of violence and force, brute force, and then all of a sudden we get to Ruth and it's, it's really the way of love and self-sacrifice. Judges, which is this this warning of sorts against foreign corruption, what can happen if you intermarry or worship other gods, and then all of a sudden, Ruth shows the potential of what could happen when a foreigner is captivated by the love of God. God. The book of Judges, which is this constant story after story of conflict with outsiders and those from other nations, and suddenly we're given this stunning account where an outsider is being welcomed into the family of God. Do you see the contrast? And then what also hit me was like the way of Judges. Where did that story end? The way of Violence and force and, and all this stuff, it led to, to curse and corruption. But then you have this beautiful story of, of, in Ruth of love and sacrifice and behind-the-scenes faithfulness and where did it lead to blessing and redemption? See, friends, this leads to the final detail of the story of Ruth that I think will help us because it makes a connection. The book of Ruth ends with a genealogy summarized by this, this beautiful picture um, in verse 17. We read this, Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. That David. King David. Ruth, this Moabite woman, this outsider, one who would have been despised and rejected, will become the great-grandmother of King David, part of the royal family line of David. And we, as Christians, understand that line would continue and become the royal family line of Jesus Christ. Ruth, the Moabite, is listed in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus. You see, this story, that that outside of this fact, would have just gone, like, just disappeared in the ether. Wouldn't have grabbed the headlines, but this story is deeply part of our story as God's people. And this story deeply resonates with the teaching and life example of Jesus Christ, who is, as we mentioned last week, our king, because Jesus Christ didn't rule like the judges. Instead, Jesus Christ served and loved on the margins of society, similar to what we see here in the book of Ruth. And, friends, can we just admit, too often, myself included, we get, we get enamored with the big and the bold and the spectacular. Like when I was a kid, right? I'm a kid and, and, and I'm, I'm going to my grandparents' house and I can't wait to get to the farm. I can't wait to to experience the adventure and the excitement of the farm with my cousins. But what I missed was the behind the scenes faithfulness of of a woman that I called my grandma. And it wasn't until later in life, when I began asking her questions about her life, that I realized what I had missed. A woman who lived a life of service, who loved others who took people into her home, who constantly was baking goodies for others, preparing meals with leftovers from the hospital for the staff members there, one who was was giving rides so people who could not otherwise get to church could get to church or get to grocery shopping, a woman who faithfully walked beside my grandpa as his health declined, and I missed it. I was a kid. I don't want to give myself too hard of a time, but I missed it. And for us today, may we not become too obsessed with the spectacular, the powerful, the celebrity of our day, but instead may we more and more be drawn toward everyday faithfulness. May we be those who who see the opportunities God has placed in our lives to be faithful. What does faithfulness look like for you in this season of life? It might not get the publicity, it might not get the accolades, but what does faithfulness in your life, in your season of life look like? Who are the people? Who are the people in your life that God is calling you to love? And to maybe show that kind of tenacious, bold love like Ruth, that chesed. I think about the promises that we just made to little Remy. And so often that those baptismal promises that we make to our little ones are done in the lower level of this building, literally behind the scenes. But that love and that faithfulness, that investment in our little ones pays dividends beyond what we can imagine. It makes an impact. Let's choose everyday faithfulness. And let's pray and ask the Spirit to lead us in that. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Lord God, so often we get we get drawn toward the big and the spectacular. And maybe the Lord, that doesn't cause us to seek after those things. In fact, Lord, I, I think many of us. Maybe the temptation is, is to diminish our role and our impact. But Lord, the, the, the account of Ruth reminds us that this everyday, ordinary, common faithfulness makes an impact that lasts longer so often than any kind of spectacle can bring. And so Lord, when we're, when we're tempted to diminish that ordinary faithfulness like like waking up in the middle of the night to feed a crying baby, changing diapers, going to work and and making a living to provide for our families. Lord, when we're tempted to diminish that, Lord, may we we recognize that, Lord, you call us to this everyday faithfulness. And Lord, may that inspire us to do that, to live that way in a way that, that declares your name, to live faithfully in a way with kindness and love that others might begin to notice and that lives be changed. Lord, Spirit, show us what faithfulness looks like, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen, I invite you to stand and sing with us.
1: Since then, he washed it white as snow. snow and when before the throne I stand in him complete Jesus died my soul to save my lips shall still repeat Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. white as snow oh praise the one who paid my debt and raises life up from the dead oh praise the one who paid my debt and raises life up from the dead oh praise the one who paid my debt and raises life up from the dead oh praise the one who paid my debt and raises life up from the dead oh praise the one who paid my debt and raises life up from the dead oh praise the one who paid my debt and raises life up from the dead jesus
0: And now go with these words. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.